Eoch Tanuyap, Kuiget Yuans, Kuiensna. Hi, everybody. My name is Kuiget Yuans. I'm a member of the Squamish Nation and the Yagalanis Clan of the Haida Nation. You're listening to Co op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. We live, work, play, and broadcast from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil Nations. <laughs> I'm Sandy Goldman, and you're listening to Each for All, the Cooperative Connection on Vancouver Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM, and online at coopradio.org. Well, we're back in the studio tonight, the first time in over a year, and we're thrilled to be here. I'm with my colleague, Robin Puga, and we have a very special guest, in fact, the same guest we had a year ago. Tom Armstrong is here. He's the CEO of the Cooperative Housing Federation of BC, and tonight we're going to be talking about housing. I'll throw it over to you, Robin. Excited to be here as well. Yes, it is great to be back in the studio here, down on Columbia Street in Vancouver, British Columbia. And Sandy, thank you so much for arranging our interviews for this evening. And um, thank you, Tom, for making it down here to the station. Uh, tonight we have with us Tom Armstrong, the CEO, uh, Chief Executive Officer of the Co-op Housing Federation of BC, and excited to talk about co-op housing here tonight. I uh, couldn't be happier to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, it hardly seems like a year, does it? I don't know. Uh, here we are. <laughs> we go pretty, by pretty quick, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's jump right into it here. Um, we have lots to talk about. It has been a whole year since we've we've chatted about housing and specifically co-op housing, but just in this last week, it's been a roller coaster of announcements. Um, February uh, 13th, we heard uh, about a new housing program from the province, BC Builds, and this uh, sounds like it's um, quite the a combination of city uh, participation, provincial funds, and now we heard today uh, a massive investment from the federal, uh, the the federal government. Do you want to tell us about this new housing program and how it's landing here? It's pretty exciting, I have to say. Uh, so, for so long, the you know people have been trying to figure out how to crack the nut on the supply problem. Like, how do we get new? affordable supply into the marketplace, particularly uh, homes that are affordable to middle-income people. And, you know, some time ago, the premier appointed uh, Lisa Helps, the former mayor of Victoria, to act as his special advisor to help put this program together. And Lisa Helps was, um, just went out of her way to consult the private sector, the community housing sector, um, financers, investors, uh, communities, municipalities, uh, about what was missing from current efforts to get new housing developed. And, you know, we all said the same thing, essentially, uh, land. Uh, how do you get affordable land into the equation? Uh, financing, how do you get cheap debt uh, to invest over time? Um, are there going to be grants uh, to create deep, deep affordability, and finally, what in the heck are you going to do about that slow municipal approval process that just grinds every housing application into the ground? And lo and behold, the BC Builds program uh, contains elements of all of those drivers of housing affordability. So public 
uh, co-op, nonprofit, uh, underutilized land is part of the equation. So is the requirement for a speeded up uh, municipal approval process, 12 to 18 months um, from gleam in the eye to building permit. Um, Two billion dollars uh, provincially of affordable financing to get uh, you know rotating through the construction cycle, and finally grants of almost a billion dollars to deepen affordability uh, for at least twenty percent of the homes that are going to be built under uh, BC Build. So, you know this is quite a, a groundbreaking uh, initiative, and the government has always said, the premier has said, and the minister uh, of housing has said for a while, you know if only we could get the federal government to the table, not necessarily with a new program, but just to match the investment we're making, to complement the efforts uh, that we're making. And to my surprise, I have to admit, um, the Prime Minister arrived in town today, stood beside the Premier and the Mayor of Vancouver and said, we are so impressed with what's being done in BC, we're going to match that $2 billion uh, in affordable financing. So now the program is actually going to deploy $4 billion in affordable construction financing paired with the uh, almost billion dollars in grants to make homes affordable, free land, uh, which is going to come to the table either from municipalities or existing co-ops and nonprofits or, or crown land or, you know, even municipally serviced land around uh, fire halls, transit stations, schools, uh, and all packaged in a, in a, in a one easy, one-stop shopping uh, so that we can all tap into it and get moving. And we, we can hardly wait. And the first site announced today uh, was a co-op. And where is that? It's very exciting. It's, it's so new it doesn't even have a name, <clears throat> but it's right on the corner of Davie and Seymour. Uh, in wow. in Vancouver, um, there are a bunch of abandoned buildings on the corner of that site right now. But what an iconic location! And it'll be 112 new co-op homes, uh, studios, ones, twos, three bedrooms, um, designed for every household size, uh, every income you can imagine. And uh, we can't wait to start digging. That is really exciting. Now I have to say the BC Builds housing program does sound vaguely familiar uh, to the community land trust that we've talked about a lot over the, the past many years, um, we, where you've got city investment, local investment, provincial investment, um, all coming together to try and uh, address um, this housing affordability crisis. Uh, did they take inspiration from that work? <coughs> They, they sure did. And, and when I said Lisa Helps reached out to the community and really engaged um, the housing community in a conversation about what would work. And of course, the Community Land Trust uh, was there to say, you know, we've got a track record. We've delivered outcomes uh, that have made a real difference in people's lives. And that should be a centerpiece in, in the new program. And, and lo and behold, it is. Well, that's pretty pretty phenomenal to hear uh, this <laughs> this new housing program uh, and such a massive investment. Now, the, you've mentioned uh, the sort of target demographic here being middle income. Um, is is this still going to address housing affordability for everyone? Well, that's the really important thing to keep in mind. This does not replace the government's existing investment in the community housing fund. So <clears throat> one thing to keep an eye on uh, in this week's provincial budget is 
the maintenance of the current investment going forward. I mean, the, the government's invested really a total of $18 billion uh, over a 10-year span in housing. So it's, it's, it's mind-blowing how, how, how historic this investment has been. It dwarfs every other com- contribution made by all of the other provinces and the federal government combined. Like we, we've, we've spoken about that before. So, so a program focused on, on middle-income folks, and we're talking any 85 to 165,000 uh, a year, uh, with a 20% um, rent geared to income component, um, fills a really important uh, niche in the housing continuum, but again, does not replace the more deeply affordable homes that the government has invested in and will continue to invest in. Okay. Um, and so, I mean, with these massive uh, investments, are we going to have the tools to temper uh, the housing market that has seemed out of control for the last decade? Well, <clears throat> you know, temper is a good word um, because that would be probably the most optimistic uh, we can be. We, you know, we dug ourselves a three-decade hole uh, in housing supply and affordability. And I know the government's attracting a lot of uh, criticism for not being able to solve a three-decade problem in one term. But, you know, I think we have to say, like, let's be realistic here. And, and you know, everyone expects BC to attract a million new residents uh, in the next 10 years. And, you know, the supply problem is starting to feel like a bit of a, you know, treadmill. You, you really never make it to the, to the front. Um, but, but this is going to have a much, much bigger impact than if we had done nothing mm-hmm. or, or if we'd done less. So job's not done. Um, and I, it must, boy, it must be frustrating to be government in power at any level. They make, they make a massive historic investment, like $2 billion and yeah. then another 2 billion from the feds. And people like me are saying, ah, you know, that's great, but not enough. Got to do more. <laughs> well, I was pessimistically also <laughs> going to say, uh, you know, we've heard of large investments from the federal government in the past, but often they're tied to an election cycle. Funny how that works, eh? Yeah. <clears throat> now, we're a little further out from the projected date of the federal election than we are from the provincial election. The provincial election is uh, October. But, you know, in a lot of the agreements the government's signing go beyond um, that election. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I have two minds about it. One, it's easy to be cynical, but I'm kind of glad that governments focus efforts on investment in housing and other essential social services around the invest, the election cycle, because what else would drive them? So I'm fine with it. You know, you see an election on the horizon, you pump a lot of money into a key public uh, service like housing works for me. Well, um, it is amazing to see this come together at $4 billion uh, and a lot of other programs happening here in British Columbia and beyond. One that I did want to ask about, um, which I think also has a co-op connection, connection is the Rental Protection Fund. Um, this this started um, not too long ago, this year, or 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, there was a, an announcement that the Community Land Trust is uh, is um, assisting in um, distributing the Rental Protection Fund or, or or managing it. You tell us about the fund and what what your is it Housing Central or 
the community land trust that's doing the uh, uh, the management there. Yeah, I'm so happy to talk about this, you know, because this is, it, sometimes it seems like uh, political advocacy is um, like a thankless job. You just, you know, work and you grind and you, you repeat yourself, it seems ad nauseum. Uh, and we worked on the rental protection fund for the better part of four years in advocating to government and on a very serious uh, problem, right? We've lost in the last um, census period more than 100,000 homes in BC renting at uh, $1,200 a month or cheaper. And that's because older buildings get bought up by investors, by real estate investment trusts. They get um, renovated, tenants get evicted, um, or properties get redeveloped, and the rents double, triple, quadruple. And those homes are the most affordable homes in the purpose-built rental housing market. And, and as the new CEO of the Rental Protection Fund is fond of saying, you know, the most affordable housing is the housing we've already got. And that was just disappearing. So imagine being focused on new housing supply. So you're rolling that rug out in front of you. And for every foot of rug you roll out in front, three to four feet are rolling up behind you. And the net impact on the affordable housing stock, the purpose-built rental stock in, in BC, uh, was just devastating. So, you know, we're making this argument with uh, our colleagues from across the country. And lo and behold, last uh, a week or a year ago, uh, January, uh, the Premier and the Minister stood with us outside uh, a co-op in Burnaby on a very, very cold day and announced that he was investing $500 million uh, in the Rental Protection Fund and not administered through BC Housing. Uh, he, what he said that day was that he wanted the fund to be an expression of his faith in partnership with the community housing sector. So they had encouraged us to create a new nonprofit society. The three members of the society are the Co-op Housing Federation of BC, the BC Nonprofit Housing Association, and the Aboriginal Housing Management Association. And the three CEOs of those associations are the board of the Rental Protection Fund. And we received that transfer, $500 million into our account. That was a, a day to remember, I'll yeah. tell you, because we started, we went down to the Van City branch under the office, opened up an account, put $5 in it. And next thing you know, there's $500 million, which is which is quite a change in your, your monthly balance. And it took about a year. You imagine, I mean, some some of the commentators were, were saying, oh, you know, look at these... Um, these nonprofit co-op folks, it's taking them a year to get the fund set up. But imagine if we'd done it a little more quickly, they would have said, look at these reckless nonprofit housing providers. They're, they're mismanaging uh, the taxpayers' money. But in fact, we're not. Um, we have a stellar team. Uh, they're pre-qualifying nonprofit housing providers, including the Community Land Trust, to buy up uh, purpose-built rental properties uh, in the market uh, and hold them, um, hold the rents at the current levels. So to maintain affordability for tenants who in any other situation would have been terrified uh, to see their properties bought up because you know the business model, you buy them, you flip them, um, rent eviction, dem eviction, you know, the, you've, mm -hmm. seen, you've seen that movie. So um, so the, the fund is, is uh, fully operational now. You're going to see in the next... Um, two to three months, a blizzard of announcements 
from nonprofit housing providers across the province. This is a, a, a program that, that reaches to every corner of the province. And you'll see thousands of purpose-built rental homes move from the private sector into the community housing sector, held by nonprofit housing providers or the community land trust, which will offer those tenants an opportunity to convert their homes to co-ops, uh, should they choose. And then downstream, this is for me the really exciting part, when those buildings really do reach the end of their useful lives, say in 10, 15, 20 years, who knows, they can be redeveloped, but with the interests of the residents in mind, not investors. And the final irony is that the first people to line up and say, we'd like to sell you our properties, were the real estate investment trusts. Oh, wow. Because they need capital to redeploy into new supply. And the best way to get that is to sell uh, existing assets. Um, and we were there ready to buy. And that's, um, that's what happened. So the first one, I'm so happy to, uh, uh, to talk about this, was the set of two co-ops in Coquitlam that we've talked about many yeah. times. We all remember the Burnaby co-ops. Uh, 115 place in post 83, 425 homes rescued from a pension fund now owned by the Community Land Trust. And these two co-ops in Coquitlam, another 290 homes owned by the same pension fund. And we were able to tap into the rental protection fund to write down the cost of buying those properties. And as of today, those 290 households, many of whom are seniors with incomes like $22,000 a year, are safe and secure in the communities they've built for the last 40 years, and we could not be happier. It is, I just, I cannot imagine how those communities must be feeling right now. Uh, we, over the last few years, fielded calls and inquiries at each for all about what, if there's anything we could do, because they were so desperate, they were just contacting everybody they could possibly think of. They, they were, can and, you imagine uh, how, I mean, we're talking seniors, lower income uh, households, who, you know, people talk about the, the effort we made uh, to, but I'll tell you, the heroes of this story are those, those members because they would go to bed every night uh, not knowing if they were going to wake up the next day to news that their property was sold to a, you know, a, a real estate investment trust or a pen, another pension fund. And many of them told me, and this is so moving, that, you know, the announcement at the, at the co-ops, many of them told me that, once they heard the news, it was the first good night's sleep they'd had in years. Amazing. Yeah, it was very rewarding. So are there other properties uh, we should keep our eyes out to watch uh, here in the Lower Mainland or beyond? You know, right now, um, the so, so the directors, myself and, and Jill Atke and Margaret Foe, um, you know, the direct, the CEOs of the three societies, um, we're governing the society, but we're not managing the day-to-day -day affairs because that would give rise to conflicts of interest that we are just better off avoiding. So, but I know the team uh, at the Rental Protection Fund, uh, led by the very capable Katie Maslesko, uh, is busy pre-qualifying nonprofit housing providers, uh, assessing uh, proposals for sale, and like I said, you will hear literally a, a blizzard of announcements and thousands of homes moving from their current insecure positions into the community housing sector where they'll be safe, secure, and affordable forever. Amazing. Well, one of the stories that we've covered a lot over the years has also been 
um, some of the uh, Vancouver leasehold co-ops. Um, and I'm, I don't know if there's any update on the city renewing leases or anything like that. I know some of that, those co-ops are on very valuable land. They sure are. <clears throat> uh, 50 of them. <laughs> and, and um, you know, we've probably spent, I don't know how many uh, years we've, we've spent <laughs> on... <laughs> on this program it might be like 15 yeah <laughs> yeah and and uh, so you'll ask uh, how are those leasehold co-ops in Vancouver and I'll say still working on it Robin <laughs> and and we're still working on it okay I am actually encouraged now that we've resolved some of the more uh, vexing problems around the structure of the lease uh, for those whose leases are expiring and particularly around the financing mechanism for co-ops who have to borrow and can't prepay the full value of their lease renewal. So I would think that um, if you invite me back um, sometime in the near future, we'll be able to talk about the first of a number of co-op leases being renewed or extended and possibly even a number of co-ops who have been targeted by the city for redevelopment, being able to tap into the BC Builds program and create many more affordable co-op homes on the sites that are currently occupied by not very many uh, co-op homes. So that's going to be very exciting. I have to say that the, um, the current council and everyone, everyone um, had been very apprehensive about what would happen to co-ops on leased land under the current council, but they, you know, the ABC uh, party, as part of its election platform, had promised to double the number of co-op homes in Vancouver. And while I think um, everyone, including me, realizes that that goal might be a little more aspirational than, than real, uh, the follow-up we've been receiving has been, um, you know, of people who want to see many, many more co-op homes in, in Vancouver. So it does feel like a partnership. And the thing about the new council, um, which marks uh, a real difference from the last council, is you know that super majority means that if you can convince uh, the mayor's office and the councillors to go in a certain direction, you can be confident that it will happen. Hmm. Well, um, I'm looking forward to that conversation in the not too distant future <laughs> when we talk about those Vancouver leasehold co-ops. Um, I did want to talk, uh, there was the BC's uh, throne speech uh, today. Yes. And um, uh, what happened? <laughs> I think the, the main signal we got from the throne speech was that the government is not finished uh, bringing legislation in that will change the landscape for the approval of new homes uh, at the municipal level. And as you can imagine, that has proven to be extremely controversial. The, um, the, the government's legislative program has been very aggressive. Um, just the, the four recent pieces of legislation that have been brought in over the last uh, month have created a, a real storm of uh, response uh, at the municipal level. I was at the the uh, housing summit sponsored by the Union of BC Municipalities last week, and I'll tell you that the municipal officials, uh, both elected and and uh, staff, are 
in many cases up in arms uh, that the province has chosen to use its legislative authority to change the municipal planning uh, landscape. Now, I have to say I don't have a ton of sympathy uh, for those complaints because the Premier and the Housing Minister went out of their way for the better part of two years to signal their intentions and nothing much changed. I mean, that, that's actually, actually that's not really fair. There are municipalities like uh, Burnaby, um, like Coquitlam and others where, you know, real changes were made you know, in the planning framework and approval processes were speeded up. Um, density bonusing was used quite uh, aggressively. So, you know, there, and those municipalities are understandably dismayed that they fall under some of that new provincial legislation when, in all fairness, it can be said that they did their best and they had been making uh, progress. But the government, you know, consistent with the positions it has really enunciated for the better part of two years, uh, said, nope, the progress we're seeing on the ground is simply not good enough and we're going to have to use this legislation to move it along. But they've said, we understand that it's going to have an impact on on capacity, on staffing capacity at the municipal level and on infrastructure because, you know, every time you build a new housing development, you got to worry, you know, will the, are the sewer pipes uh, up to the, the challenge and, and, you know, how's the electricity grid? And, and so there's funding available both for staffing and for infrastructure and, and from the federal government as well uh, to try and um, perhaps if not, you know, match the impact, you know, dollar for dollar, uh, certainly make it a bit easier to handle. So, you know, we'll see. Some of that legislation is bold. Uh, it does touch around density. It does touch around the sacred um, cow of, of uh, you know, single detached uh, zoning, which I think it's pretty pretty realistic to say that, that the single detached zoning is gone. Hmm. Uh, you won't see that um, anymore. If not today, then certainly in five or 10 years, it'll be a It'll be a historical uh, archive. Well, um, I know as well you're headed to Victoria for the budget, which is in the next, uh, is that tomorrow? Uh, day after tomorrow. Day after tomorrow. Yeah. So um, what is, I mean, we've, you've heard about all of this funding. Uh, what is the ask at the budget for, for CHFPC, for Housing Central, and your, your colleagues? Well, the one thing that we will be looking for um, because part of when you're in the budget lockup, you get all of the detailed estimates that went into the, um, you know, the crafting of the budget. So I don't think this is something we need to be worried about. We are going to look very carefully to make sure that some of the new money that got announced didn't displace money that was already promised. Because that sometimes, um, if you're trying to, you know, stretch a budget to cover you know, more competing demands. It's tempting to, you know, push something that might have been planned for next year, uh, two or three years uh, down the road. Uh, I don't think we're going to see that given what you mentioned earlier about the election cycle. So, you know, the Premier and the Housing Minister want to make sure that the time between now and October, they're seen to be accelerating their commitment to housing, not pulling back on it. But we've, you know, we've asked for a couple of things. First and foremost, uh, we think much more needs to be done to fully fund an urban, rural, and northern indigenous housing strategy. And I'd say on behalf of our colleagues at the Aboriginal Housing Management Association, that's still something the government hasn't fully come to grips with and, and needs to. 
uh, urgently. Um, and the rest of it, you know, for us is tinkering. Uh, we'd like to see relief on property transfer tax, for example, for co-ops who uh, renew their long-term leases with, with cities. Uh, right now, that can take a million dollar or many millions of dollars uh, bite uh, out of the financing that co-ops have to secure to pay for their lease extensions. So we'd like to see that changed. And beyond that, um, you know, I think uh, a different property tax regime uh, for co-op and nonprofit housing would help make uh, operating budgets more affordable. But, but I'd want to be careful about that because multi-unit residential housing does draw on municipal services. And I don't want to send the message that um, we're drawing on services and not doing something to, to pay for our share of them. So that's, that's what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. But the urban, rural, northern, indigenous housing strategy for us is the top of mind issue and, and needs urgent attention from the province and the federal government. And uh, my understanding is the Aboriginal uh, Housing Association, AMA, uh, they have a plan for this. They've like <coughs> been working on this for years. Like, so they've got a pretty clear ask is my understanding. They have a fully um, costed, uh, data-driven um, report that exposes the need and offers a concrete solution that, again, is fully costed. So there's no mystery around need or, or solution. All the government has to do is uh, engage a little more actively in the partnership with AMA and, uh, and get that budget in place so they can administer it. Well... Um, thank you for catching us up here. It sounds like we have talked a lot about non-market housing, renters, rental stock, um, and some pretty substantial changes uh, happening here in the province. One thing we didn't talk about is unhoused folks. Um, mm. And, uh, well, uh, I don't know, I guess the BC Rent Bank is not, I know that they also have seen some additional funding, but that's still talking about renters. Um, mm. With uh, the unhoused folks, um We've seen uh, a few stories in the news lately, but I don't know if there's any that give you some additional uh, hope here. Uh, I don't know if I'd say hope at this point. Our, our friends um, on the front lines uh, of this, this, and I would say a battle, uh, tell us that uh, things are not getting better. Uh, the a very aggressive move to clear encampments has created um, untold misery uh, across the province, and this is not just a Vancouver issue. I mean, I, I, I absolutely get uh, the government's position that encampments were not a safe place uh, for people, but neither uh, is the street, uh, especially given the, the absolutely horrendous uh, impact of the poison drug supply uh, and, and the absence of um, more concrete action around um, you know, more than shelters uh, for people who aren't housed. And, and uh, I guess I'd have to say a failure to deal realistically with that poison drug supply is just creating uh, tragedies out there every day on the street. So if there was one area where I'd like to see things uh, picked up, uh, that would be it. I'm very encouraged by efforts like the uh, Downtown East Side uh, Collaborative that are trying to bring a community land trust approach uh, to the acquisition of, uh, of many SRO buildings and, and make them tenant-run uh, shelters or, or homes uh, rather than, uh, than owned by some of the sketchiest landlords you could possibly imagine. I think that's a, um, 
an inspiring initiative, um, and 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 groups like the Hogan's Alley uh, Community Land Trust. There's a real, you know, a fascinating resurgence in the idea of community land trusts, which is not a very old concept in in North America, but because of the efforts of some of the more established land trusts, uh, not just here, but in places like Toronto and Halifax, you're seeing a national network uh, spring up, which had its first uh, inaugural conference in Toronto uh, several months ago. And I think you're going to see that, well, the next one is uh, actually here in Vancouver uh, in October. And um, if we could arrange a time for you to sit down with some of the people who are doing absolutely amazing work on community regeneration and housing security and community economic development uh, elsewhere in the country, I think you would be just blown away by what's happening on the land trust front. We'd love to do that. We are going to have to take a short station identification break, and we'll be right back here on Vancouver Co-op Radio. Thanks so much, Tom. We'll be right back. Who owns your radio? 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 You do. Vancouver Co-op Radio. 100.5 FM. CFRO. The, the People's, People's radio, radio Station. Give me that. It's mine. I want it. No, it's mine. No, give it to me. You have to give it back. Stop. Instead of fighting, try working together. Honestly openly in a spirit of caring for others. And tune in to Each for All, The Cooperative Connection. Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on CFRO 100.5 FM, on your dial and online at coopradio.org. Try cooperating. You'll feel better for it. And we're back on Each for All, The Cooperative Connection. And we're talking with Tom Armstrong, the CEO of the Cooperative Housing Federation of BC. Tom, we'd like to turn our attention to what's been happening nationally in terms of housing. Um, is there, are there any initiatives over the last year since we've talked to you hmm. uh, at a national level besides the announcement today uh, for BC Builds that have, um, that have been significant? Oh boy. <clears throat> well, it, I'll tell you, it's a good thing they did make that announcement today because otherwise I'd be in a surly mood around what the federal government has and hasn't done. So let's start with the glaring uh, omission. We've talked more than once about the, and I'm going to put in big air quotes, new uh, federal co-op housing program, first announced and promised in the March 2022 budget. So now we're going on, we're just a month shy of two years since that promise was made. And Okay, here's here's the sound. If if I could if I had any talent, I would I would imitate the sound of crickets uh, right now because that's exactly what we ha have heard um, on that program. Now, since then the minister has changed. Um, you know, the minister talks in very encouraging tones. So does the deputy prime minister, uh, uh, Krista Freeland, who's a co-op kid herself, uh, grew up in a housing co-op in Edmonton. Um, and so, so they have talked about how important it is to them uh, to launch this new federal co-op housing program. But of course, a lot has changed uh, since the promise was made, uh, especially interest rates. So the number of homes that can now be delivered, assuming that, that they're still serious about uh, launching the program, and, and I honestly don't know. 
at this at this point um, will be much uh, less than than would otherwise have been delivered if we just got on with the job. And it's not like like it's not rocket science, right? You've got a national crown agency, CMHC, with what fifty plus years or more uh, of uh, administering housing programs. Uh, you've got a very capable community housing sector, more capacity in the community housing sector today than I would argue than at any, any point in its history. And the political will to get that program launched uh, is just not, not there. So that's the big disappointment. The, the federal government has been making quite an impact at the municipal level uh, through its housing accelerator uh, fund. And well, apart from, um, in distinction, uh, you know, to past approaches where the federal government was very reluctant to attach uh, strings uh, to money, they have been quite aggressive about saying to municipalities, we're not going to give you money to accelerate the production of housing unless you can show us that you are accelerating the production of housing. And by that, I mean removing uh, the planning barriers, um, like public hearings for affordable housing projects that are already consistent with the official community plan. Like, duh, like those should be gone. Uh, excessive development cost uh, levies, um, planning processes that add one, two, three years. We've talked about this before in respect of some of our uh, proposals. Those have to be gone. And, you know, the minister has shown himself to be quite serious about um, sticking to his guns and not releasing the money until those commitments uh, are made. And Tom, what kind of housing is c going to be built through the Housing Accelerator Fund? Well, that is a really, really good question. Uh, primarily, um, you'll see housing, like you saw with the Rental Construction Finance Initiative, which was a program designed primarily for the housing sector, it will be market-based uh, rental supply. So there's still a very significant gap uh, in terms of affordability, because as we know, uh, rents and incomes have been increasing on two completely different tracks, and there's still an affordability crisis in the country. So this isn't really affordable housing. Well, it's a, as they like to say, it's affordable to someone. Right, um, but, but, but but not what we're talking about here in terms of BC builds and that's right that that kind of uh, yeah. situation. I heard about a huge cooperative housing uh, project in Scarborough. Yes. Uh, and we saw the sort of outline of that, 918 homes. Can you tell us a bit about that? That looks incredible. It's very, very exciting. So the total development is 900 and change. Uh, the co-op will be 630 of those 900 and some. And it's a, it's a very interesting model. So they're, they're going to be doing it through the Community Land Trust, um, run by the Cooperative Housing Federation of Toronto. So that's, that's the first bit of good news. And, and the financing, it's quite creative. The, the private developer who's, who's going to own and market the other 300 plus, uh, its development uh, fee uh, for doing that market housing would be about $14 million. Instead of paying it to the city, it has to pay it to the co-op to reduce the cost of, of building and financing the co-op so those homes stand a better chance of being affordable from day one than they otherwise might be. So very uh, innovative uh, model. I can't wait to see uh, more more of it. And, and the, the 
community land trust uh, model in Toronto is really flourishing. They're, they're accepting transfers of single-family homes, like 600 of them owned by the city of Toronto. <clears throat> they're just tired of managing them. Like, they're very affordable, uh, but they're not in great shape. <clears throat> so now they're, they're assets of the community land trust. You know, we saw a story on uh, co-op housing on the National last week. Um, and it was interesting, I guess, for us in BC or talking about uh, co-ops here, mm-hmm. um, it kind of made it sound like what's old is new again. Yeah, that's You know, right. I, yeah. I kind of laughed at the story, but it's also really important. And, and we hope that the feds get on board. Um, what about the idea of the Rental Housing Protection Fund going national? It's very exciting. Um, we <clears throat> Do you through, see that possibly? Yeah, yeah. Through the Rental Protection Fund. And the Co-op Housing Federation of Canada and the Canadian Housing and Renewal Association, we've actually made a formal proposal uh, to the federal government to create a much bigger national acquisition fund based on the model of the BC Rental Protection Fund. And just literally today, uh, we got a letter of endorsement from the Federation of Canadian Municipalities saying to the Minister of Housing, you have to do this. And other groups, um, including... This is sometimes um, um, housing politics makes for strange bedfellows. But the, but the a group of real estate investment trusts who had been advancing their own proposal for a national acquisition fund have withdrawn it and said to the federal government, no, we think you should support the community housing sector-led uh, fund proposal. And many others are, are doing the same. So... You know, you'd like to think the stars are aligned on this. The BC Fund has already delivered proof of concept. And and the, the problem of the loss of affordable rental stock is even more dramatic in central Canada than it is in BC. So why would you not want to address that as part of your overall... If you want to say you have a national housing strategy, why would it not focus on protecting the affordable housing we already have? Right. And we don't see other provinces uh, initiating similar programs, like we, Ontario, where there's, there's, there's all this good stock. Yeah, we don't see them initiating it, but boy, are they ever paying attention. Right. Uh, our ministry in Victoria has said they are getting calls nonstop from other provinces, particularly you know Manitoba, uh, Quebec, Nova Scotia. That's the conversations we've heard about. So, you know, it's a good idea. I think it's picking up steam. I wouldn't be surprised to see, um, well, I think some of the smaller provinces might be waiting to see what the feds are going to do. And then rather than crank up their own program, they would argue for a slice of the national uh, budget uh, for a national acquisition fund. That's just my my guess. I don't know that for a fact. And so with a federal budget in, a, I guess, a month or two, usually April, what what's uh, the cooperative housing uh nationally asking of the government besides a federal co-op housing program? Well, that's certainly number one. Um, well, it's not number one, actually, because you shouldn't have to put as number one on your list something that was promised to you two years ago. So so number one on the list, uh, and I'm proud of them for doing this because we've done it here too, is funding a national urban, rural, and northern indigenous housing strategy. The need uh, across the country uh, is is acute. Uh, it's a it's a a moral and human rights uh, failure uh, of our country. Um, the eyes of the world should be on uh, our disgraceful record 
uh, and not just in terms of, of housing uh, indigenous populations, but, but uh, other aspects as well. So that's the number one priority. The second is the National Acquisition Fund. And, and the third, and this is something I'm sure we'll come back to on future shows, all of those um, uh, income or rent subsidies uh, for the thousands and thousands of uh, co-op homes across the country developed under those federal programs, they expire on March 31, 2028. So you're talking 400,000 uh, Canadians who will see the bottom drop out of their housing affordability or whose co-ops will be put in the position of keeping housing affordable for their members or maintaining their buildings. And that's something the federal government um, needs to start coming to grips with and I'm, I'm glad that the National Federation put it on the table today even though those subsidies don't expire until 2028. Well Tom it's been a there's so much more to talk about um, and we're not going to wait a year to have you back here uh, in the studio to talk about it because things are unfolding uh, at well maybe not so much at the national level but but maybe things will change um, but certainly locally and uh, provincially we thank you so much for coming in to spend time with us on each for all and we wish you all the best going forward and uh, keep us posted on on new and exciting developments to create safe affordable housing that's really what we want here it sure is and I, I want to say to all the I'm assuming there are thousands of co-op members uh, listening to us tonight Always. and and so I want to say to them um, the best thing you could do when you wake up tomorrow is make a donation uh, to Co-op Radio, and for we'll match uh, every dollar that you donate up to a thousand dollars, and hope to kickstart something uh, here and, and support our community uh, radio station because uh, this is where the real action is. Thank you so much, Tom. Your support for Co-op Radio is just warms my heart every time, and I know you're uh, a, a longtime supporter of our show as well. Can't thank you enough. My pleasure. Let's do it next time. Sounds good. That's Tom Armstrong, the uh, CEO of the Co-op Housing Federation of British Columbia here on Vancouver Co-op Radio 89.3.